Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Crypto Hipsters Podcast, where I interview founders and co-founders, entrepreneurs and artists, executives and stay-at-home hipsters in crypto and blockchain around the world. And I have an amazing podcast for you today. Let's get to it. And today I have a very special guest. His name is Mike McGlone. He is the senior commodity strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. Mike, welcome to the show today. Hello, Jamel. Thanks for having me. And I love your uh, nickname. <laughs> Thank you. So um, my first question to kick things off is, is what is your background? And it is a logical background to what you're doing now. Well, so I'm, um, I'm as you mentioned, I'm my strategy is at Bloomberg Intelligence. The key thing about uh, uh, my background, I guess, is I started in the trading pits in Chicago in the 80s. And I've been in New York since 93. I like to say they haven't kicked me out since. So I had that honor of being promoted from the trading pits to the New York trading desks. And so my background is really commodities, most notably treasuries and macro. It was, used to be treasuries and macro. And that's, to me, where I really fit in with uh, at Bloomberg, I'm commodity strategist, and to me, that's for Bitcoin really just grabbed me as far as the quintessential macro um, taking over the spot of gold. So that's really my background. And I guess one of the key places I've been and that would ring people's bells as far as names is I was ran the commodity business at S&P. And um, now I'm at, I've been at Bloomberg, this will be my fifth year. Excellent. Um, so speaking of Bloomberg, um, Bloomberg Intelligence recently reported some market insights uh, surrounding Bitcoin in the report, Bitcoin bear market or dip in the uptrend. Uh, what are some of the insights that you could discuss and what is your current market assessment now, which is like one week later? Yes. Yeah, so that um, that's why I think I enjoy about being in the space sometimes. That was me. I'm a, I'm a, and the key thing about Bloomberg Intelligence is I'm a strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence, and my views are my own. Obviously, they have to be go through compliance and things. So that was a report I wrote. Um, so nothing to do with what the company Bloomberg might think or view, and because that's my views. But that report um, was in response to we had this Bitcoin rally up to 65 in conjunction with the launching of Coinbase, and it dropped down to 47. And I, just as I love to hear being kind of more of a seasoned markets guy is, you know, you're in a good bar, bull market with people easily get bearish at support. <laughs> and so that's what happened. And so far now, as we speak, we're back near 57,000. And I see it was just a dip in a bull market trend. And my latest, um, so that was response to that. And my latest um, outlook, I just published my May outlook, which people can find on the web. Just do a simple Google search and it's under LinkedIn and my name and everything. Is um, the headline was um, digitalization of money and finance advancing Bitcoin and Ethereum. And to me, that's what's really happening in, in the space. We're in this rapid process of digitalization. Um, Bitcoin and certainly of money. Bitcoin was the first. Um, it's not really currency or money. It's really, I look at it as more as a collectible. It's basically becoming the global digital reserve asset. And that's not so much an opinion. That's a fact. It is becoming that. It's just a question of how long that lasts and if it carries through. And then you have things like the rest of the space. Now, there's massive speculative excesses um, 
evident. But number two on the space is Ethereum. And Ethereum is um, it's the number two cryptocurrency, but it really represents um, what's happening in terms of digitalization, DeFi, smart contracts, and the whole world of finance um, kind of shifting over to this more advanced next um, next. I guess it's kind of an advancement like ETFs were and like the Internet was. And that's what I see what's happening with um, cryptocurrencies. And I, I actually I'll stop there. I like to call them crypto assets. So do I. Um, yeah. <laughs> only three are actually currencies, and that's Bitcoin, Litecoin, and um, Digibyte. Everything else is an asset. Well, um, that, that's that's a thing that's, you know, everybody debate, debates what a currency is, and I'm like to say, uh, okay, you can use them, they're considered currencies, and the one issue now is there's on the, you know, on the, one of the benchmarks that people use to watch is there's 9,600 crypto so-called quote-unquote cryptocurrencies on coinmarketcap.com so that's a sign of massive supply ease of entry and that's a bit of a sign of speculation and a bit of a problem for overall prices but then there's one that's the ones that's most serious in the planet that i don't really consider a concern currency i consider bitcoin more like gold it's more of a digital reserve asset in a world that's going digital um i read your recent report that you sent out um the the may one um, so my question, and that was focused on institutions. So from an institutional adoption perspective, right? What are some of the key considerations that you are seeing um, in when you determine where we are in the market cycle, and what do you think will drive both Bitcoin and and Ethereum forward? Yeah. So there's a lot of things to watch, and which put it um, put a target initially I, this year. I'm looking. I think Bitcoin is heading to a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and that's kind of from a number of different uh, methods to use that level. We can dig into those later. And I don't think it gets much below 50 at this juncture. If we have a pretty significant risk off event like last year, maybe it gets to 40,000. But I see it getting to near 50,000. And there's a lot of things that have changed um, this year that I, 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 I'm watching more kind of just technical and measures of the market versus last year, I watched more unchained and more fundamental measures because what I see this year is a fundamental shift in that narrative versus the past. A lot of people poo-pooed it and there's plenty of naysayers. Now, most of the naysayers have switched the other way. They know their greater, greater risk is not adopting this new technology. I look at a key milestone this year was Tesla um, allocated $1.5 billion of their corporate treasury to um, Bitcoin that added some legitimacy, and let's just put that in context. Tesla, Tesla by market cap is the world's largest automaker. Yes, that's somewhat um, subjective and disruptive, but it is for a reason because it's disruptive technology and it's really shifting to this new technology of electronification. Part of that is decarbonization, and part of that is digitalization. And then um, I look um, f forward. So that was one milestone this year. Niles, my milestone was the major, the world's, one of the biggest um, exchanges in the U.S., Coinbase going public. And the key thing I'll end on, um, Jamal, to, to leave you with is everything I look forward in markets is, what is what's a dangling carrot for the next step? Like in life, you always want something to look forward to. And there's one major next dangling carrot of bullishness in the cryptos, and that is the increasing and very high potential that there'll be ETFs, quote unquote, plural ETFs on Bitcoin launched in the U.S. Now, it's happened in many parts of the world, most notably Canada, most recently, and there's massive fund flows. And that just opens up not only a window of funds to flow into um, 
Bitcoin and some of the other cryptos, but it opens up a whole, it adds to legitimacy. And that's what's really been the milestone this year. It's Bitcoin has become much more legitimate and it's really becoming a digital version of gold. And there is clear signs of outflows from gold ETFs into anything that's tracking Bitcoin. I want to ask you about ETFs because um, there have been some debates um, that I've been privy to recently they saying, you know, what, what's going to take to have global adoption? And one option is ETFs and the other is DAOs. Um, which one do you think would lead the way in institutional adoption um, for Bitcoin? Well, institutional adoption is already happen happening with insurance companies, Southern Wealth Funds, pension and funds and endowments, family offices, and most notably, the you know the average person with a brokerage account that some of them have to buy had to buy instruments they might not like as much, like the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. But it's it's happening rapidly, so adoption is kicking in, but it's still a very very small portion portion of global investable assets. So the key thing, but I don't, I'm not so fluent with DAOs, but the key thing about ETFs is what it basically did for gold. It made gold when the GLD first gold ETF was launched in 2004. It just made it much easier for people to hold physical gold, push a button on their brokerage account and you're holding physical gold. It's, it's done for you. Same thing will be happening to Bitcoin. It's a matter of time. The point is, um, it's all part of this legitimization. Until that really happens, it's still off the scale for some institutions. I mean, they, it's harder for them to get access to it um, than in an ETF just makes it easier for anybody in, in, in the world. And traditional finance who holds stocks and bonds to push a button to get exposure to Bitcoin. So to me, that's just a milestone that's very unlikely to be rejected. It's very much likely to happen this year. Our ETF team and at Bloomberg thinks it's potentially going to be happening by June. And it's at the point now it's almost becoming their quote is almost becoming irresponsible not to because it's forcing people to go to other places. And that's a key thing to remember about this space. There's an it's an organic um, asset, potentially the most significant we've ever seen that's happened from the ground up. It's demand pull forces. For instance, every single headline I hear, most notably, well, there's one recently about Goldman Sachs getting in the space and Morgan Stanley, other places, almost all of them. Um, were from the quote in this story when, when the Bloomberg service usually demand, customer demand. And I see a lot of that here at Bloomberg. We see massive customer demand for people in Bloomberg terminals who want more access to cryptos. And um, they um, appreciate my research. Yes, I, I, I do too. Um, looking at that report, you know, that you just published uh, yesterday, um, I found it interesting. I found it interesting that, you know, um, there were charts, you talk about Ballinger bands, you're talking about trading. Uh, concepts and there's there's other concepts in crypto. One is the minor the minor mindset, which is um, which is uh, you know basically um, a hodl, but um, what's the word um, where you store everything and you don't want to like not miserly, but you know what I mean. Um, and then there's the there's the there's the trading, and then there's the investing, um, which is more of a buy and hold and don't ever sell. Do you see more of institutions being in the trading mindset, or do you see more in, in the HODL mindset? Well, that's a big difference from this year compared to maybe the big rally 2017, if we want to go there. What, there's a lot of entities getting in the space now are much more institutional that they're, um, we've heard from them, they may never sell. Now, people do skim profits, i.e. that's what happened with Tesla recently, when there is profits to skim, which is a problem in life that those of us who invest and have been around long enough know that's the problem you want to have. 
problems of scheming profits. But to me, that's what's happening is a lot of these entities that do not have an end game, for instance, pension funds, endowments, insurance companies are getting into space for the diversification. I mean, when you have bond yields that are negative in parts, a lot of parts of the world and recently and interest rates are near zero. Bitcoin is a big, a nice fit to that portfolio. If you, you know, have, you know, uh, liabilities to match stock markets at the all time highs. And then you look at things like um, one thing we'll touch on a little bit is Bitcoin supply. The, the fact of Bitcoin supply is it's fixed and known. There will only be 900 Bitcoins a day until 2024. Then there'll be 450. And then four years later, it'll be 250 for the next 100 years. Last year was a, a cut in supply. It went from 1800 to what we have 900. Every year we've had a cut in supply have been the best years of performance, i.e. 2013, it went up about um, 55x, 2017 went up about 15x. And this year, if you just take about one quarter of what 2017 to the 13, it gets us to a near 100, um, $100,000 $100, Bitcoin. That's part of my target to getting to 100,000 this year. And the key thing I ask myself every day is what's going to trip this up? But every time I come in and pick, hit the headlines and I see another significant institution or significant entity thrown in the towel and the naysayers of the past, i.e. you've seen major corporate um, bank head, um, heads of banks who've said negative things about it, turning around and saying, okay, well, and now I'm, <laughs> our company's launching ways to track it. And um, the bottom line is it's most notably happening from clients and most clients and, and any instance institutions that manage money that have poo-pooed it and do not offer now, now learning that they are falling behind and their clients are moving elsewhere. They're losing assets to clients. And there's the cost of this key thing that I'll leave you with in history and in mankind and human nature is these people are supposed to be smarter than everybody. When they're managing money, they're supposed to be able to figure out the future and tell us what's happening. A lot of them missed it and so far and now are jumping aboard because the greater risk now is to say if we look forward, look back from the future, maybe 10, five years from now, and Bitcoin just simply keeps doing what it's doing. You can't be one of those ones who said, yeah, I missed uh, AOL or I missed um, the, the, advent of, advent, the advent of electricity, the advent of, of the Internet, and then the shift of digitalization of money and finance. And that, to me, is what's happening now. Great. So I'm seeing another thing, in that, and you touched on it, too, is you're seeing money flow um, into Ethereum. What are you seeing on the institutional side? And... Um, would you describe it as a mania? Yeah, there's definitely some mania in the space. If we want to speak mania, we'll definitely go to the, the Dogecoin. That's definitely a mania, definitely signs of speculative excess. And there's definitely so there's signs of speculative excess in every bull market in history. Um, and they, they shake them out and then go back. And there was certainly signs in 2017. But we have that now. But theory, my view, is less speculative excess. It's less institutional. It's definitely um, leverage money driving. It always is. Remember, I, I came up from, from futures background. And getting you know, 20 30% leverage is just normal. That's just the way futures work. And that's the lesson you learn in a trading pitch is never trade without stops. But that's what happened recently. We got stopped out. A lot of leverage longs got stopped on a Bitcoin, put the market in and came back. So, so we've definitely seen a lot of that. But... From an institutional um, um, standpoint, this this fact that Bitcoin is well on its way to becoming a global digital reserve asset. Now, that's institutional. That's serious. And then there's things like Ethereum. It's less institutional, but more so things like, let's just look at Uniswap. Uniswap is the decentralized exchange. It trades about half the volume as Coinbase, and it is a smart contract that trades on Ethereum. Those are very complicated words for a lot of people to say, even myself, because I am not a technical guy. 
But the fact is, this is something that's just open source code that's an exchange that's in many ways safer than a centralized exchange that there's a point of failure. Um, and it's taking over traditional finance. For instance, here's something I'll leave you with. This concept of T plus two days in terms of settlement when you buy or sell something will probably be shifting to T plus two minutes in a matter of years by going to decentralized exchanges, things that are really trading on the Ethereum platform, um, smart contracts and DeFi decentralized finance and decentralized exchanges. It's just those cool words that we all hear a lot, but it's just an example of how rapidly technology is taking over. And you see there, what I'm sensing in the space from in terms like Ethereum, and no one wants to be the next Netflix or, or I'm sorry, the next Kodak or Sears or Blockbuster, which was replaced by Netflix. So it's adopt or get crushed is what I think was happening um, in most of the financial institutions. I'll tell you what I see. I see artists making money for the first time. Because all the NFTs are on there. There you go. Um, well, exactly. It's, well, that, that's nothing like a little bit of profit and capitalism, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so in a, bull, in a bull market, traditionally, what happened is within what is we're seeing kind of think, I want to see if you see this um, when you get your thoughts on it. We move from Ethereum, then the flow of money flows into large caps. And in the past, those large caps were Litecoin and Bitcoin cash. Now they are chain link and you mentioned dogecoin so i wanted to get your your thoughts on what you're seeing in dogecoin and then chain link and then the others yeah so there's definitely signs of speculative excess i.e a lot of it um, tilts to the altcoins um dogecoin's a joke coin um but what's what's it's kind of a fun i look at it as fun it's just gambling i, I mean my plumber was buying he says yeah i risked 100 bucks made 600 my guy you took hope you took some profit he said yeah i'm like it's like going to vegas Take it for fun, and but it's it's one of the most unique things. And it, there's a really profound thing that's happening here, and this is global capitalism happening 24/7 in terms of digitalization. Everybody in the planet, even someone in sub you know someone in Sub-Saharan Africa, can trade these things on their smartphone. And most notably in Asia, China, they love to trade, and also they're restricted by their government for doing things um, outside of that you know that um, surveillance state. Um, but it's happening globally. Now, Dogecoin is getting a bit expensive as we speak. It's around 60 cents and it's almost the same. It's almost, and coin market cap down, cap down is number four, but it does have a unique attribute other than being a joke. It's no one else's project, no one else's liability. There's only one big one that matters that's like that, and that's Bitcoin. Bitcoin is no one else's project, no one else's liability. So um, Dogecoin is more of a joke. It's more of a play thing, play around with it. But when, when we do have a flush in the space, which it's almost guaranteed because there's so many, too much supply, massive speculation. Bitcoin will probably win. Ethereum will probably do too. But I want to end on one key point that our listeners really need to be aware of. The most widely traded cryptocurrency on the planet is the dollar, Tether. Tether is a stable coin. It's a digital dollar. Its volume is essentially almost triple that right now on a 24 basis of Bitcoin. And that is the key thing to our best listeners to, to understand what's happening in the space. Digitalization of money is enhancing free market flow free market capitalism and discourse in the world, which does not exist in our major rival, China. Um, and it's enhancing the, the, the dominance of the dollar organically. Most of the trading at Tether, I understand, is done in Asia. Um, so it's a key thing to remember what's happening in the space. And that's why I think America's and the US is smart enough to embrace the technology, realizing that this is making a major difference between parts of the world that are repressive 
and do not have open discourse and do not have free flow of capital, how digitalization and rapidly advancing technology is pushing them behind. I.e., you hear, I'll end on this, you hear a lot of talk about um, central bank digital currency in China trying to launch one. Well, they kind of have to because they're getting crushed on a global basis organically by the dollar. Even though the U.S. is becoming a smaller, smaller part of global GDP, dollar dominance is increasing. So for rivals of the U.S., which is becoming more so like Russia and, Russia and China, that's a problem. But it's the unique thing that's a wonderful thing we should hear about for those of us who are champions of freedom and free discourse and stuff. It's happening organically, globally. Bottom line is the most widely traded cryptocurrency on the planet is Tether. And that's just a stable coin. That's just a dollar because people want access. So it's an indication of where things are going. That's where the financial institutions are figuring it out. They're saying, oh, Visa initially just um, jumped on having stable coin dollar on its platform. Coinbase said they're just going to add Tether, even though it's somewhat restricted in the U.S. It's just acknowledging what's happening in the space. The world's going digital. We might as well jump on board or we're going to be falling behind. I often forget about Tether. Um, I guess because I'm a, I look for more risk at being interested in DeFi. <laughs> yeah, so, well, I, I just had to bring it up because when people, just, we had so much press about how, oh, the central bank digital currency in China is going to take over the world and it's going to bring capital flows. And I'm like, nope, it's actually the opposite. So when people click on like coinmarketcap.com, I, I encourage them to click on circulating, click on volume and see what stop, tops and goes on top. It's always Tether. And you click on market cap, it's always Bitcoin. How do you think Tether could lead to open governments globally and then help the Bitcoin ecosystem? But what well, is already and because it's it's showing how the world does not trust China. It's showing how the world is increasingly trustworthy of the U.S. and the dollar. And, you know, that's one thing that we have going in um, in our Western countries is we debate and discourse everything. We knock it around and we figure out a better way. You cannot do that in China. And after what happened in Hong Kong. I have colleagues there. I was there in 2018, and it's amazing the difference, the, the sentiment I get from uh, since the riots in 2019. Everybody's leaving, and you just cannot get free information and free um, ideas and discourse out of people I used to speak to in Hong Kong, and they're afraid. They have to be, because they all put all these people in prison, and, re re and they retra retracted on all their um, um, promises of freedom. Um, and to me, it's the new the new Cold War. And this is why I have to say this is a podcast because you can see it happening. I'm just pointing out it's happening in digital currencies because they're organic, they're neutral, they're capital, they're they're the people's money. They're the people's and they're controlled. They're decentralized. There's no specific government controlling now there's regulation. And believe it or not, U.S. has been one of the leaders in terms of regulation. We've um, we have futures. Um, ETFs are not there yet. Um, been, you know, the IRS has been, it's been in the IRS code for since 2017, 13, I think, as property, pretty sure it's property and features, it's um, commodity. Um, and that, I think, is showing in far as like, well, what was the country that really um, threw, who started the internet? It's the US. And what has that done for the US? Well, look at Amazon. <laughs> I mean, it's just, um, I think it's a smart, um, countries willing to be um that are tolerant of and this is an example of tolerance tolerance of crypto assets like people keep saying it's going to be bitcoin's going to be banned I'm like we're past that the toothpaste is out of the bottle um but i do expect what's going to happen is the u.s government will probably reg add regulation to things like digital dollars and then they can be regulated like the banks or primary dealers and then you don't have that issue with privacy like in hong kong if you trade i'm sorry in china if you trade that central bank digital currency Dictator Z will see everything you spend your money on or what you receive and, you know, can easily, it's, it's a matter of privacy. So 
I wasn't going to ask about XRP at all, but we're talking about international borders and, tra and, and trade. Um, so what if, you know, Ripple wins their lawsuit um, and XRP is able to, you know, be a cross-border payment? And um, how does how would that impact Tether and how that impact our relationship with banking globally? Well, cross-border payments are already happening very much without Ripple or XRP. The key thing I want to point about XRP is I just look at this space sometimes and I say, all right, as a strategist, I learned an early on in the pits, the market's always right. Now, yes, sometimes it can be irrational, but the market's always right. And what XRP recently did was just shocking to me. It, the SEC came down on, on them as being a security, and it went from 60 cents to 20 cents. It was kicked out of most indices, including the Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index, and put here we are right now back at 170. There's something organic going on in space. Yes, some of that is speculation, but there's a significant organic bid below the market for these types of assets. Now, yes, they should have corrections, but the key thing I'll leave you on is this is an indication that really hits, I've been watching and, and respectful of as a market guy for a long time. A lot of this comes from the trading pits. You know, there's a difference between being in a pits in Chicago and being on a trading desk in New York. And I'll explain that if we want to go there. And the key thing that really tripped me was in 2018, when I was in Hong Kong and I was presenting about cryptos, it was clearly crypto winter. Everything was going down, just plunging, except one thing. The market cap of Tether was rising. A lot of people poo-pooed Tether as, oh, it's a fraud and everything, but it just continues to rise because of organic demand. So I kind of rope XRP in that is the fact that it keeps bouncing back, even though it's, you know, again, a thousand knives and a lot of people poo-poo it, it keeps coming back. But there is, through cryptos, doing cross-border payments and things like um, being able to exchange with very low fees and not having to pay remittance fees is already happening. XRP, I think, is just more institutional. You asked. You said if I want if I if I asked the question about what's the difference, uh, you would you would you'd tell me. So I'm going to ask you what's the difference between the trading in the pits and trading now. Um, well, that's a key thing I want to point out is when people talk about deflation, the, the pits are gone. Why? Because of rapidly advancing technology. I used to be voice, voice worker. Poof, they're gone. You live in, and we both live in Connecticut. When you're going to go to an airport, you cross the White Stone Bridge. Two years ago, there was maybe a hundred toll booth operators working 24 seven, remaining that place. Poof, they're gone. Rapidly advancing technologies is part of our lives. It's really kicking in. And Bitcoin and digital currencies are part of that, and in fact, a big part of that. And I think that's where Bitcoin sits, and it's clearly replacing gold. I mean, we're not going to, why would we need this rock anymore, which is, to me, part of that narrative. Um, and so I, I think that's a big, important part of what's happening here is sometimes people, you know, the smart people seem to be figuring it out. It took me a while to really come around to it, but to me, that's really what's happening in the space, in the macro is... Um, we are shifting to a digital world. The, the concept of paper money will be, um, when we're much older, we'll look back and then like, oh, really? You guys use paper money? Everything will be digital. It's just the way it's going. It's like Thomas Edison predicted about electricity, but we'll look back and say, we won't remember a time without, without it. And um, to me, that's what's happening. Um, and I don't remember where we were specific on that question when I got in that rant, but that's kind of the macro. And to me, and, and, and that's part of the macro as a commodity guy. When people talk, talk talking about inflation, I'm like, are you kidding? Um, because of rapidly advancing innovation, within a few, maybe five, 10 years, every car in the 
planet will be cheaper when it's electric. Electric, electric vehicles will be cheaper. Look at crude oil, the world's most significant commodity. It's down 50% from its peak in 2008. Look at the most significant measure of electricity heat on the planet, U.S. natural gas. It's down 80% from its peak. So yes, we're seeing massive amounts of money printing, but a lot of what we're seeing is because of this rapidly advancing technology, which Bitcoin and cryptos are a big part of, we're seeing pretty historic deflationary trends. And that's all kind of cycling through it's what's pushing helping pushing up <laughs> um asset prices like real estate pushing down yields and of course we get some of that from the, the fed and um really accelerating i think the shift to bitcoin as a hedge now in portfolios because people need to hedge against the potential someday of currency debasement inflation great um so i'm looking at the trading perspective i'm looking at the money flow and the very end of the uh, of the cycle at the bull cycle the very height of the bull cycle what happens is money flows from those large caps like tether like um you know bitcoin cash like like, like when it goes into the small alternatives um and then you have alt season right so from an institutional perspective what is what are the roadblocks or impediments of institutions adopting you know these really small cap uh cryptos like a like a bank or or um, like a Unibright or something similar to that. Yeah, that's much more for uh, speculation, maybe in more hedge funds and a few. I mean, we have an Ethereum ETF, now we have Ethereum futures, um, but everything else is much more speculative. Um, and and don't, as far as institutions, it's not, um, they're not like Tesla or MicroStrategy buying it for, you know, something as a hedge or to add to their corporate uh, treasury. So, that is signs of, I think, of the speculative excesses, um, the altcoin rally, which I'm getting concerned about. But I do still have that, you know, I said that I think Bitcoin's get going to get to 100,000. Um, and the key thing to remember is so Bitcoin as total dominance is I think it was around 67, 60 percent about a year ago. Now it's closer to 45 percent. But that's of 9000 cryptocurrencies, 9600. A year ago, there was only 5000. <laughs> We do that ratio, it's a, it's a lot. And I can, so to, to me, just the massive alts is, is part of what's happened. But remember, Ethereum's a different world. And one thing I do I remember, our other call, our question was the difference between trading, trading pits in, in New York. And, and, and I just want to go back and real quick. In the trading pits in Chicago, there's this theme that a lot of the money is your own money because it's locals dominant, at least it used to be. Um, and then you come to New York and it's just trading with someone else's money. And that was the whole story. And you know what they say about trading someone else's money, you can blow up and guess what? It's a good way to get a job someplace else. Right. It's someone else's money. A, the ultimate. I do have a, no, it is. I do have a small crypto fund that I'm running for just a few friends are in this year. It's my money. And yeah. you know, I limit their small downside loss and you know, it's just something for me to do. So um it's fun. It's fun. Uh, so I want to thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate the uh, conversation. Um, I got a better sense of where the market is and where it's headed. And uh, um, my last question for you is um, if people want to find out more information about your work, about you, how can they do that? Well, I'm on uh, Twitter, Mike McGowan 11, but the key thing I really transact and work with is LinkedIn. Um, I'm LinkedIn. I'm happy to link with anybody if they want to be added to my distribution list. Just link in me and 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 ask, and I'll get you on there. Uh, but key thing is at LinkedIn. Just you know, go for Mike McGlone Bloomberg, and you'll find me. Thank you very much for your time today. 
Thank you, Jamal. It's a pleasure speaking to you and pleasure getting to know you. You too. Thanks.